Hey, what's up everyone? Pastor Mike here from Time of Grace. I'm super excited to be recording this podcast with you. I'm here with Nia, who if you haven't met her yet, is the director and producer for Time of Grace. So you see me in front of the camera, she's always behind it, and she edits out all the stuff I say that will get me in trouble. So, how's it going, Nia? Boom. All right. Plus, you know how to edit yourself if you say something crazy. So. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, so Nia and I are here today to talk about this brand new book that I just wrote. It's called Three Words That Will Change Your Life. So I'm blessed to be here with Nia. We're going to talk about the content of the book, the reason we wrote it, why we think it's so powerful, why we'd love for you to read it too. So Nia, what do you want to know? program and on the Grace Talks. And I've always advocated to try to do more videos about you and all the things that people don't know about you. Mm. So this is, I think, a great opportunity for you to tell a bit more about yourself besides what we are, what are seeing on Time of Grace and Grace Talks. I so know. I want to start firing a couple questions at you. Oh, sure. Should I be worried? It's <laughs> <laughs> just like digging down into my my secrets and the things I've tried to hide. Remember, there's the power of editing behind <laughs> Oh, yes. <laughs> if I say anything that gets me in trouble, yes. bail me out. Exactly. I think it's fun to learn about people, especially people like you, who I was just talking the other day, someone I work with um, back where, I, where I'm from, and I said, if he, Pastor Mike walked in here right now, you wouldn't know he was a pastor based on how he looked. <laughs> and that's a compliment because you're so casual and down to earth. And so I think people don't see that side of you mm. when they think of Pastor Mike of Time of Grace. And I want to get at that a little bit because like, to me, that relates to why you wrote this book. Starting with just the casual stuff, like when I was doing research on you, when I was going to join the Time of Grace team, I was excited to see that you're a soccer fan, which I am too. Yes. <laughs> you break dance, which I grew up in the <laughs> 90s, and I have too many friends who knew how to break dance. I don't know if people know that about you. Well, I'm not sure if you would ever see me attempt to break dance, you would immediately take back the comment, I know how to. I have one party trick. I tried to learn for about a year how to dance. And I learned really one, not being able to touch my toes and being an almost 40-year-old guy has really sabotaged my breakdancing career. So I got one move that I pull out at weddings and people go crazy because they don't expect the pastor who just talked about Jesus to, uh, <laughs> it's called the baby freeze. So that's my go-to, but that's it. Is that an official name or did you make that up? No, that's what it's officially called, the baby freeze. The baby freeze. All right, everyone, go Google on YouTube. <laughs> and I keep looking for footage, and I don't think any footage exists of you breakdancing. It does not. Yeah. I'm very cautious about that. <laughs> <laughs> so your relatability as a breakdancer, as a soccer fan, I think that gives you great appeal and great leverage for why you wrote your book. Three words that will change your life. <laughs> right, that's the title of it? It is, I yeah. I think I'm a spoiler what those three words are. I don't know if we want to do that in this podcast yet. Oh, good question. Yeah, maybe not. But that relatability is, is people read this book, three words, they'll start to see that uh, a lot of examples you give, a lot of scenarios you give, a lot of people that you talk about, all very real. It could be your neighbor down the street. Mm -hmm. And so is that part of why you wrote this book, is to talk to the people who are just like, everyday people who need to hear about this. Yeah, for sure. I, I wanted the book, one of the reasons, there's like lame jokes that I put in the footnotes and crazy pictures of sloths and people eating donuts and 
<laughs> totally random stuff is I didn't want this to be a book just for like academic or pastoral kind of people, but people like my friends, my family, like myself, we're going through life. We all want a really good life and we're all trying to find it. And it's really frustrating because so few areas where we search for real life satisfy. So I really intended the book to be, you know, if you're brand new to church, if you're not even sure about Jesus, or if you're a pastor like me with a lot of Christian education, that would try to reach all those audiences at the same time. And then what, what would you say is the premise of that? Is it to build a better life, to get a better life? What is the basis for the Yeah. Book? Yeah, the, my premise is that all of us think that something is going to give us the best life possible. So for some people, it's, you know, if I can be the best at my school, if I can get good grades, if I can get into this college, if I can get this job, if I can make this money, if I only had fill in the blank, more money, a better marriage, if I could conceive, if I could have a kid, if I could have another kid, if I could have grandkids, if the election would go my way, like all of us fill in the blank with something that we think is going to give us a better life. The problem is, though, that something is always temporary. I mean, you got to work hard for good grades and the job and the great relationship. And you can't control a bunch of stuff like how your spouse treats you or whether you can conceive or how the election goes. And so we live kind of with this low-level anxiety and fear that we have to work super hard to get the thing we think we need. And then the craziest part is when you actually get it, it doesn't work like you thought it was going to work. Right? So you find the person who has the kid or whose marriage is a little better than yours the person who's making the money, who has the job, and you ask them, oh, you made it. And they look back at you like, what? No, because they have their own stresses and they're filling in the blank in a different way. So there's like a thousand different paths that the people I love that I so often choose thinking, if I just had that, I would have this great life. And what I came to see in the Bible is that the only way that sentence works in the best way is if that is God. And not like a small, yeah, official God, I, I guess I should put God number one in my life. But until God is the most beautiful, glorious, breathtaking, like God is better than my kids, God is better than front row seats, God is better than a promotion, than a six months of vacation, like just the thought of God being with me, until that is the best thing in the world, you're in so much trouble. But if he is the best thing in the world, then through Jesus, if you have him, then you can go through almost anything with what the Bible calls joy and peace and contentment and satisfaction. Because even if you lose some of those temporary things, you still have the best thing that no one can take away, and that's God. So I think for most of my Christian life, what I did was I had Jesus. I knew I was forgiven. I knew that one day when I died, I would go to heaven and things would be great. But I kind of stopped, I sometimes say I went to the cross, but I didn't go through the cross. I went to the cross, I'm loved, I'm forgiven, I'm going to go to heaven, but I didn't go through the cross to get to God, which is the one thing I need in this life to have the best life possible. So that's the premise of the book. It's why I wrote it. I think it's a universal human need that all of us are seeking a better life, but we look for it in all the wrong places. I think we should probably get a spoiler then, what that three words that would change your life is. Oh! You want to? Sure. Yeah, we can do it. <laughs> yeah. So the, the book's called Three Words That Will Change Your Life. The first word is by far the most important. It's the word God. Leave the caps lock on. Not some dinky, unimpressive God. Not just capital G God, official, you know, guy with some white beard in the sky. But capital G, capital O, capital D, this glorious God. That's the first word. The second word is is, not will be. 
like I used to think, like one day when I get to heaven, he will be or was back then. But right now he is. The Lord is with me right now. And the final word is here. Not over there with those people who are so much better Christians than I am. But because Jesus forgave me, that glorious God is right now, right here. And I think those three words are the sentence that changed King David's life. They changed Jesus' life. They changed Paul's life. And the big message of the Bible is that since Jesus lived and died and rose for us, those three words can be true for us too. Why do you think it is so easy for us to forget that God is here with us? Um, oh, great question. Two answers. One, I think we all know, like when we mess something up, people don't stick around here. So if I say something really ugly to my wife, Kim, she might want to go into the other room. She's not here. You know, we see that in school. You get into a fight with someone or at work, you know, you, you have it out and you, you separate. And so there's this really natural, logical assumption that why wouldn't God do the same thing? So I think a lot of us feel unworthy. We feel guilty. He must have turned his back. He turned his face away. He's over there with those better people. So I think guilt and shame is a part of it. It's just hard to believe that God really is with us and he loves us and he's pleased with us because of Jesus. But then I think that the second probably bigger issue is because we can't see God, we forget how great he is. You know, we get so excited about the money or the friendship or the new series on Netflix or my favorite band is releasing an album. Emotionally, we get really, really excited. Oh, I'm seven days away from this break when I'm going to get so much time off to not check my email. Like that we can see and we can feel, but God, we can't see. So it's super easy to assume and just forget the fact that God, I mean, it's so logical when you stop and think about it. Yeah, God is kind of better than a seven-day vacation on a Mexican beach. Of course, he, he created Mexican beaches and vacations so we can know a little bit of how good he is. But it's kind of walking by faith instead of by sight. We see good things, but we can't see God. So it's easy to forget that he's the best thing. And so you dissect each word mm -hmm. go through the book, God is in here. And one of the stories that sticks out to me when I was going through it is the, uh, some of the conferences that you're listening to talk about why they are Christians or oh, yeah, yeah. high school students. Yeah, yeah. I am a Christian or I believe because one day I will be with God. Yes. And the will be yes. should be changed too. Is. is right? Yeah, they kept, we'd ask them, what does your faith mean to you? And kid after kid after kid after kid after kid after kid who had grown up in our church, who had gone to our Christian school. I mean, they had thousands of hours. You'd think you'd be an expert in Christianity. And for them, it wasn't God is here, but God will be. My faith means when I die, I'm going to be okay. I'm not going to go to hell. And I, you know, I thought of that. Here's these teenagers. What are they going to go through in high school or in their college years or when they get dumped or when they can't get the job or when all they have is God and they've totally forgotten, like God's waiting for them at the finish line. Like when you, I'm, I'm way up here when you die. <laughs> Hope you make it. Instead of what King David say in Psalm 23, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Not you will be, but the reason he wasn't afraid of life was because he knew that God is here in this moment. So yeah, I, I think it's really easy to be a Christian and to think so much about the forgiveness of Jesus and ultimately getting to heaven that you can forget about the here and now promise of God's presence. And the other thing that um, I was reading that I really liked, and I might have to do this myself, is your, your own personal mission statement. Can you talk a little bit about that? Oh yeah. Yeah, that happened way before the whole idea for the book came out. It was Man, this has to be maybe 10 years ago. I'd read some, I love to read books like you, 
and I'd read some leadership book about a mission statement for your personal life. And I started thinking about as a pastor and as a father and as a husband, what I wanted that to be. And essentially what I came up with was I want to give the people in my life a little glimpse of how great God is. So I think of this even now, when I give my daughters my full attention, you know, they, they're going through kid problems. It's easy for me as this guy to be like, yeah, that's, you're going to be okay. You didn't have a great partner for your social studies project. Like, it's not the end of the world. But when I show them compassion as a father, when I give them my full attention, when I say, that sounds really hard, I'm showing them a little bit of what our Heavenly Father is like. I mean, when I complain to God about my adult problems, I wonder what he thinks. Like, are you kidding? Do you know what people in the world are going through? But he cares. And he says, I can cast that anxiety on him. So I'm giving my little girls a glimpse of how glorious God is, caps lock God, by the way I behave. Same with Kim. The Bible talks about uh, Jesus is like the groom and we're the church and he lays down his life and he loves his bride. So every time I do that well, I think about her, I put her first, I sacrifice what I want to watch on Netflix. So in every area of my life, I was thinking, if I can just give people a little glimpse, like if I can make them happy as a human being, Imagine how happy God is going to make them when they see him face to face. So if when I walk into the room, my little girls feel love and comfort and compassion from me as a father, or if I walk into the room and Kim's happier because I've served her and loved her and been humble and it makes her think so much more of Jesus, or if I can be a, a good shepherd or pastor to our church and be there for people and pray for them, know their names, care about their struggles, love them even though I know their sins, they get a little glimpse of Jesus as the good shepherd. So it was kind of my way of giving people a glimpse of God, which has really, really, really changed. Man, I think of that idea every single day. Everything good that I go through, food, weather, nature, music, entertainment, jokes, moments with friends, family, I think, wow, if this, if this life can make me this happy, imagine God. So that's really my kind of trigger way to get from, well, yeah, I officially believe in God, to that caps lock, oh my goodness, he's so amazing. Like this is, this is food, this is sushi, this is cinnamon toast crunch, this is a soccer game. You know, it's 11, 22 good athletes running around kicking a ball in a field. Like what, what is that compared to God? So if watching soccer can make us happy, imagine looking into the face of God. So yeah, I call this, uh, that idea, this. This with an exclamation point at the end. Like this is just a glimpse of how good God is. And that was, my next question is, I really enjoy your concept of this, which you've talked about in Grace Talks, which you've talked about on Time of Grace. Mm-hmm. This, how, how, like what you just said, if, it's, if this is this good, imagine how it is in heaven. So you give like a plethora of examples <laughs> of this moment. Yes. Heaven is heaven because God is there. So not just, hey, imagine how good it's going to be one day. But if God is with me in this moment, imagine how good this moment is. You don't have to seek him and see him with the eyes of faith, but I don't have to sit around for the next 10, 20, 50 years waiting to die to experience something really good. Um, Psalm 27 is one of my favorite psalms. And David says in that psalm, my heart says, seek his face. So your face, Lord, I will seek. It's like our very being and our soul is telling us, no, 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 think about God, seek his face, picture his face. And so the mission of every day is to use all these good things in life to think about the greater thing, which is God. Because the good things are temporary, right? You save up money for the soccer game and then your team blows it and you're angry and it's temporary. Where God, when we seek him, he never changes. He's always there. 
he's a free gift because of Jesus. So he is the one like rock solid source of happiness that we have. And I think that's what's great about your book is that you take, give us examples and then you also give us steps on what we can do to see God every day. Yeah. It's one thing to just say it rhetorically, let God be a part of your life. God mm. is with you. God is here. Yeah. But you actually tell us how. Can you give us a little bit of insight into how we can remember that God is with us? Yeah, that's the right question. I think of that. If you're a Christian listening to the podcast, you already believe, like, not in small g, God's, but an official capital G, here's the one, God. But to get from that God to caps lock God, um, there's a whole list of verbs in the Bible that talk about magnify God or exalt God or lift up the name of God or praise God, which I think is the Bible's way of saying, hey, let's get God as big as possible until he's big enough to make us happy today. So in my mind, there are two key ways to get there, uh, this and that. So this is all the good stuff that happens to you today. Even if you're broke, even if your family is super dysfunctional, even if you're sick, I guarantee you today something will happen to make you feel good. It might be something you hear on the radio, might be a song, might be a picture you see on Instagram, but there's going to be good moments. So every one of us can leverage every day to magnify and think more of God. So that's this, like, wow, if this makes me feel good, imagine God and God always is here. That is the flip side, the stuff that stinks, that we wish we could change, the painful things. Um, There's a passage in Romans 8 where the Apostle Paul says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed. And when I do the logic of that, there's a little picture in the book that has like all of your pain, like this massive weight. You know, if I thought of all the, the junk that people are going through and like, you know, not just bad traffic and social studies partners, but cancer and divorce and miscarriage and infertility and depression and mental health issues and PTSD, Paul would say that all of that, as bad as it is, isn't even worth comparing with how good God is. So sometimes when I'm sick, I've been thinking about this, like, oh, I just, my stomach hurts. I'm not sure if I'm going to throw up. And I think, how good must God be if when I see him, it's not going to be like, well, yeah, I guess, I guess he was a little bit better. Paul says, no, it's, it's not even worth comparing. It's like the scale is so tipped that God is so much greater. So I, I think even when our days are bad is an opportunity to think of how good God must be. So, you know, to me, <laughs> you're either going to have a good moment right now or a bad moment. And this week is either going to be a good week or a bad week. But either way, like you can use either of those things to leverage and get God to be as big and wonderful as he intends. You quote a lot from the Psalms, which I think is great because David was the perfect example of that, right? Yeah. Good times and bad times, he's sitting there praising God for being with him now, not before, not later. Yes. Yeah, the Psalms are, they're a game changer for me. Um, One of the pictures in the book talks about this idea of a refuge. So in the ancient world, like where David lived, because people were not always nice to their neighbors, they would conquer each other. And when they did, there were no like special rules that nations abided by to be nice. I mean, people were enslaved, women, you know, God forbid the things that would happen to them. So when an army came up, like that was scary. If they busted through the walls of your city, it was serious danger. And so ancient cities would have this little building inside the walls called the refuge or the stronghold. Like if the walls got breached and busted into, there was a place you could run and be safe. And so this was David's way, I think, in almost every psalm that he wrote of talking about God. 
that we have these walls in life. I wanna be financially strong. I wanna be healthy. I wanna have good friends, a fulfilling career, good relationships. But this world is like a, you know, a vicious enemy that takes no prisoners and those walls get busted down. And there's always something that happens every year. And most people, they just get killed, right? Like my life stinks, there's no happiness because I'm not healthy or because my relationship didn't work out or I didn't get into the college that I wanted to or my boss is so terrible. That's what they think about. They just sit there and take it and they hope and pray and ask God to rebuild the wall. Where David, even though he'd say, you know, God, fix this, help me, save me, almost always at the end of his Psalms, he would say, but God, you're my refuge. And ever present help in trouble. I can run to this little place called you and I'm going to be safe and no one can change the fact that you're with me. So really David to me is the number one example in all the Bible that you can go through stuff and you can pray for God to make it better. But even before he makes it better, even if he never does, you can still rejoice, have peace, be content. You can sing for joy because God is your refuge and your strength. I'm glad we're talking about the Psalms because one of the Psalms really you wrote really changed your life and is really what sparked this your own journey here to where you are. Can you talk about that Psalm? Yeah, Psalm 73. So I wish I would have like journaled every day to know when it started. But sometime years ago, I stumbled across Psalm 73, which was written by a guy named Asaph. And he has this line there in verse 25 or 26, where he says, Earth has nothing I desire besides you, God. And I don't like to just read Bible passages. I like to chew on them, meditate. And so I thought about that. Like, why would he say that? I bet that guy wanted good friends. I bet he didn't want to starve. I bet he wanted safety. I bet he wanted comfort. All the things that we want, I bet he wanted. So how could he say that earth has nothing he desired? And the more I thought about it and studied the context of the psalm, I realized what he was saying is, earth has nothing that I desire because what I desire is stuff that lasts. I don't want to be loved for a week and then not loved for a year. I don't want to have amazing friends for the next three years and then have everyone leave me by myself for the next 10. I don't want to be comfortable and safe now, but on Tuesdays and Thursdays, I'll be in great danger. You know, what the human heart desires is stuff that lasts, but in this world, nothing ever lasts except for God. God, yeah. So what he desired, what he really wanted was the God who was always there and didn't change. And so he breaks out in a song of praise. He says, it's so good to be near God. There's God is here. Um, God, you're my refuge and strength. You're my portion. And even if my heart and my flesh may fail, God is the strength of my heart. So that was really the psalm for me that sent me on this journey. And the more I looked, it was just, it was everywhere in the Bible. The idea that this is temporary, this is failing, but God's love is unfailing and his mercy is unfailing and his acceptance is unfailing. And Jesus is the same yesterday and today and tomorrow. And God will never leave us and never forsake us. And I'll be with you always, always, never, unfailing, so certain. Everything in life is conditional and temporary except for God. So what my heart desires, what yours does is God. And until we find him, we'll never be safe and satisfied. So we talked about the Psalms. We talked about God is here. We talked about... God is, and then here, can you talk about here a little bit? Yeah. In my mind, here is where Jesus really becomes necessary and amazing. That if God, I sometimes explain it this way, if, if God is pretty unimpressive, if he's just a regular dude, then anyone can approach him. Like, I might be a terrible sinner, I might be a mess. So if, if God is like lowercase g, then I can approach him. But if he's really this caps lock, God, if he's glorious, good, holy, loving, 
then I wouldn't expect immediate access to him. I mean, really amazing people in this life, I can't call them up and say, hey, you wanna hang out with so-and-so celebrity? Or, hey, Leo Messi, what are you doing? Or Aaron Rodgers, or whoever your favorite person is. There's some distance there, right? Because we're just regular people, and these are rich and famous and, and powerful people. So that's that idea that if God is so good, then sinful people can't just approach him. And so this is really where we need Jesus, that he needs to bridge the gap between us and God. That God might be over there with the saints and the angels and the Son and the Spirit, but what about with a person like me or like the one who's listening to this? So if you've struggled with alcohol or with pride or with being controlling or being ungrateful, when you really realize like, man, I'm not, I'm not a great person, so why would a great God want to be here with me? Uh, I tell the story in the book, what, what I love, I was just telling the story to a, a non-Christian guy um, two hours ago. I had a great lunch conversation with him. And I was telling him about the temple in Jerusalem, uh, which was right next to the place where Jesus died. And how in the temple, there was this room where God supposedly lived. It's like this symbolic thing called the most holy place. But right in front of it was this giant curtain. It was towering, I think, 40 or 60 feet tall. The curtain was as thick as a person's hand as this visual symbol to say, God's back there and you're over here. Like there's a, there's a barrier between the two of you. And you remember what happened when Jesus dies on the cross? His last breath comes? The curtain rips in two. The curtain tears in two from top to bottom. So not from the bottom like we human beings are trying to rip our way to get to God. But he himself, through the death of Jesus, opens this place so that sinners like us and a perfect God like him can be here together. So if we always had to wonder, you know, am I good enough? Or did I really mess it up too much? Or, oh, that's the 10th time I've done that. God must be over there now. We could never have that refuge to run to. But if Jesus really does forgive the worst of sinners and he forgives me and he died for you, then regular people and struggling people and sinful people can still embrace those three words that change our spiritual life. When people who are clearly corrupt, clearly wicked, clearly evil, but they seem to have all the success in the world. Yeah. What do you say? Especially Uh, to non-believers. Do you know who wrestled with that question? The author of Psalm 73. Yeah, so that's what starts it. He looks around and he sees people who don't love God and don't care about God and don't feel bad for their sins. And it seemed like they were getting away with it. He's like, oh, here they're rich and comfortable and famous and nothing happens and here I am struggling. And then he says, and then I realized what their end was going to be. Was that because they didn't care about their sin, they're not going to be with God. Right? They've turned their back on God. They've run away from him. So they've lost his presence. So what good is it to get a hundred years of power and pleasure if for a million eternities you lose out on God? And then he realized, wait, if I go my entire life and it doesn't work out for me here, but I have God forever and ever and ever, like, they should be jealous of me. (laughs) Like, I have the best thing. I'm better than a, a palace and a castle and women and wine. So, yeah, that's a really big idea. We don't have to be jealous of people who have better lives than us. We don't have to think, oh, they're getting away with it while they sin. People who hold on to their sin and turn their back on Jesus, they don't have God. But for those of us who trust in him, we come to the Father through the Son, which means we have the best thing in the world. You go through a list of celebrities or famous people who Mm. struggle with that, of having a lot but not being completely satisfied even this life, and they admit that. Yeah. Famous Jim Carrey quote, I wish everyone would become rich and famous so they will see it's not the answer. Yeah. And then I think you mentioned one too many times the person who I just do not like the best <laughs> in this world. You know who that is, right? I do. Mr. Tom Brady? Yes. <laughs> I was like, why do you keep mentioning Tom Brady in this book? 
But even he seems to have a longing for something more, right? Yeah, yeah, he, he admitted that. He he's, has this great family, it looks like. He has incredible success. I mean, how many Tom Brady's like our age, right? How, how many people at that age compete at that level? It's just insane. He's He's iconic. He's one of the best players. Sorry, I know you won't agree with that. He is, <laughs> statistically. You can see that he's probably the GOAT, but that doesn't mean you have to like him. Yeah, so if he's the greatest of one of America's favorite sports, and still he gets on camera and admits, like, man, there's got to be more, then maybe, maybe, maybe the human heart was created for more than money, power, beauty, pleasure, temporary things. There's like this God-shaped hole in his heart that he just... I don't know if Tom Brady will listen to this podcast, but if he does, I'm going to tell him, oh man, there's something better that you don't have to work for and you're not going to lose when you turn 50 and you have to retire. Um, there's God and he's a free gift through Jesus. Right, God is here. So mm-hmm. we've already given away the spoiler, but what, what would you say is the biggest, the biggest appeal of your book? Yeah. The biggest appeal is that what all of us are dying to find is right here. We don't have to spend 50 years clawing and scratching and trying and spending and buying. All the stuff that we want, that we seek, that we date for, that we hope for, that we pray for, that we wonder if we're ever going to get, it's it's right here. So missing God will kill you. It will kill your hope, your joy, your happiness, your peace, your contentment. But if you find him, like you have just found this rock and this refuge, um, I, I love the Apostle Paul, so I, I think he's at the selling point. If I was going to give a pitch man, Paul would say, I've been imprisoned, I've been whipped, my friends have abandoned me, I don't have a wife, I don't have kids, I don't have much money, I'm sitting here in jail, I was preaching the gospel, then they threw me in prison for nothing. But you know how I feel? I've learned the secret of being content. And I'm rejoicing always, and I have a peace that goes beyond understanding. And what does he say? Philippians chapter 4, because the Lord is near. So here's Paul. I mean, his life is not great, but he has what all of us want. He has a kind of joy and peace and contentment that we think we're going to find just around the corner, but it's actually not around the corner. It's right here Mm -hmm. because it's God. Now, I used to be a former journalist and did a lot of um, editing back in the day, and we'd get different press releases with very hyperbolic language. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, the title of this book is, isn't it? And so I have to ask you. Yeah. Three words that will change your life. Yes. And you can guarantee it will change your life. You know, I had a relative who, two weeks ago, they heard of the title of my book and they totally eye-rolled and, <laughs> and scoffed at me. Like, really? Like, you think, I'm going to go on Amazon and read one book and it will change my life. And so I can't guarantee, if you don't believe what the book says, it won't change your life. If you do, it will. Because how could God not change your life? I sometimes put it this way. There is a person that if they walked into the room right now, they would have the power to change your life. If your best friend that you haven't seen in two years suddenly showed up for a surprise birthday party, it would change you. And if you've been trying to have a baby forever or you really want your kids or your spouse to be different and they change, like if they were present in the room, if you could get your father or your mother back or, you know, fill, fill in the blank. If a celebrity would walk into the room, it would change your life. So here's my question. Is God better than those people? Of course. And if he is, if mentally the thought of God is better than a perfect spouse or a great kid or a celebrity or an old friend, then absolutely the title of the book is true because God is present. He is here. It's a secret because you can't see him. You have to leverage this through the eyes of faith. But 
I can tell you from experience, it sounds hyperbolic. I kind of make fun of that in the very first page of the book. Like this sounds like revolutionize, kickstart your faith, transform your life in three easy steps. So it sounds too good to be true, but it is the teaching of the Bible. Um, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I lack nothing. Um, man, that's what all of us want. And it's right there. So simple. So uh, I'll admit it is difficult to remember that. When you lose something temporary, your life goes back to how it was. But day by day, if you can seek God and see him in those good moments and remember that during the bad moments, he's still there. It has changed my life and it can change yours. What I like to do when I've been reading this book and thinking of a lot of the things that you've talked about and other circumstances is everyone has that one friend, right? That one friend who is super happy, joyful, no matter what. And you're always like, how, <laughs> how are you not mad at this? And, mm. But we dig deep and we know it's because they've already figured it out before I did, which mm. is, I'm that God. And yeah. so everyone just think of that one friend. Yeah. I bet they've already figured it out before you did, if you're yeah. still struggling with it, right? Yeah, so true. No joke, yesterday morning, uh, there was a guy who basically he pitched my book to me without knowing that I had written a book. Uh, I don't know if I'd ever had a conversation with him. He shows up at our church once in a while. He wanted to actually give a generous gift to the poor through the church. And he starts telling me about his life and his adult children who he hasn't seen in years. And they don't want to talk to him and he hasn't seen his grandkids. And as I'm hearing his story, my heart's breaking like, oh my goodness, that sounds, I was thinking of my own daughters. Like if my I can't go a week without seeing my kid's face. I can't imagine going a year plus. And just when I'm ready to express my compassion and sympathy, like, oh, I'm so sorry, he stops and he says, but pastor, have you ever thought about God? Like sometimes I close my eyes and I try to, this is him talking, I close my eyes and I think and there's like mountains and I see the galaxy and then I look and there's God. Oh, and he's so beautiful. And this guy, he's beaming with joy in the middle of a conversation telling me about like his difficult family situation. And I, I'm shaking my head like, I should have this guy write the next book instead of like offering him the book. Because it, it was just the perfect example of he had a refuge. You know, his perfect family, the wall of that kingdom got busted down. I, I'm not exactly sure because of what, but he had a place to go and it made him really happy even when life was messy. So God's presence changed his life. God is here. Mm -hmm. Final question. Uh, you wrote a blog post sometime within the last year or so, which I loved, and you called it dropping the F-bomb in my office or something <laughs> like that. It's not the F-bomb most people think. And so the F-bomb would tell us is... Feelings. Feelings. How that's not, that's seldom a, po a positive thing. How do you know and distinguish between I feel this is good, or I feel I'm feeling good right now versus the real deal of God? Yeah. I think there are two ditches to be careful of. One is where I feel something that's not true. And the other ditch is where something's true, but I don't feel it. So some people will say, well, Pastor, I don't feel like God forgives me. I don't feel like God loves me. I feel like God must be so mad at me. And I try to, you know, show compassion and dig into that. But then I say, okay, prove to me that God feels like you think he feels. I hand him a Bible. You know, give me the passage to prove because I think God is here with you. He's not over there with them. I think God forgives you because of what Jesus did. Let me show you a passage. God is still present. I'll never leave you or forsake you. Um, so, with all due respect to your feelings, they're wrong. 
And they're a deception because God is here is what you need and your feelings, which I think are coming from a demonic place, are trying to convince you otherwise. On the other side are people who say, oh yeah, yeah, I, I know that God is here. But what I really want is to get out of the hospital. And in that case, I want to say, well, <laughs> I'm glad you know that God is here, but let's talk about the kind of God that you believe in. Um, there's an old pastor, A.W. Tozier, I think he was a pastor in Chicago decades ago, and he said, there is nothing more important than what a person thinks of when they think of God. So if I think, yeah, God is here, but what kind of God is that like? Like, if I don't feel, oh, I've somehow minimized God and I need to magnify and exalt and use all the good moments to make him bigger and better. So, yeah, feelings aren't the ultimate judge, but they're really important because what I feel is often a reflection of what I think and what I think is often connected to what I think about God. So that's why I said the whole first part of the book is, hey, I could tell you God is here, but if you don't love him and adore him, it's not going to mean much. You know, someone could walk into the room who's your enemy or a stranger and their presence wouldn't change your life. It has to be the right kind of person whose presence will change your life. So let's make sure God is the right kind of person. Yeah, you can jump on the Amazon, it's probably the easiest way, or Barnes & Noble, you can find it online. Um, there's a special way for bulk orders through the Time of Grace website, so if you'd like to buy a thousand copies to distribute to your family, friends, coworkers, and anyone else who wants to change life, <laughs> we'd appreciate that. Um, yeah, you know, for me as an author, it, it always feels weird to say, buy my book. But honestly, what I really want is for people to experience what I've experienced. Um, I've been a Christian for 39 years and my life now is so different than what it was 10 years ago. I knew Jesus back then and I know Jesus now. What I kind of missed back then was God. And so I really want people to get this book because it will change your daily life. Uh, I wake up every morning thinking about this book. I think about it a, a dozen times and the concepts in it. Good times, bad times, family times, soccer goals. So I really want people to get that message and find what Jesus preached what David and Paul found, the secret to a better life. Thanks, Thank you. Yeah. Hey, thanks everyone for checking out this podcast. Uh, once again, go on Amazon or Barnes & Noble if you want to learn more about the book. Uh, thanks for tuning in to Time of Grace and have an amazing day.